BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services and in partnership with Beast OCR. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related, running, endurance, conditioning, rucking, and more. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody out there in BeastNet land. It's a very special day. We've got Dustin Johnson who's been running around the world to raise awareness for soldier suicide. Real quick, Dustin, uh, we had your mother back on the show on Veterans Day, and now we've got you on now. Um, How about you introduce yourself and just kind of let the people know who you are, and we'll kind of talk about why you're doing this and and talk about why you have a little break and have time to talk. Yeah, I just want to thank you for uh, bringing me on to the show and uh, just let everybody know I'm a a Navy veteran. Um, I served in 13 to 17. three different aircraft carriers and I'm running around the world about 16,000 miles to raise awareness for the epidemic that we've got going on. Yeah, the uh, current estimate, soldier suicide is, is 22 a day. That's what, what everyone's using. Um, and I believe I, I saw a recent stat that's actually had a slight uptick um, higher than 22. Has it, I don't know if you followed that or not. Yeah, I, I believe it's about 23.1 right now. Um, if you if you add in active duty military as well as veterans, um, our active duty is has increased quite a bit here recently. Just uh, just about a month ago, we had several individuals all on the same aircraft carrier um, take their life within a week. So we, we're reaching a little bit higher on the active duty side as well. Yeah, it's a, a horrible thing to hear. And, uh, you know, the BeastNet crew, we all... Uh... We all have suicide has touched us in some way, shape, or form. Um, Freddie Mike, his uh, his daughter's half brother, um, took his own life, and and we've all had our our issues dealing with it. And uh, and so any chance we get, we uh, we talk about uh, mental health awareness, or we we go on mental health walks with the American Suicide Prevention uh, Association, and then we've been working with with your your crew at uh, Stop Soldier Suicide. Um, just trying to get the word out there. And, and every every time I can, I link Stop Soldier Suicide into a donate just to, to try to get some more sent their way. Yeah, absolutely. And we uh, we appreciate that. We we need every everybody that we can get on board to to change what's going on right now. No one person can can do it on their own. So the more the people we have working together to to put a ripple in the wave, uh, the more likely we're going to we're going to turn this around for the better. So uh, I know we kind of heard bits and pieces of your story and then uh, through some of the news clippings and other stuff that I've been been reposting, we've kind of followed along. Um, do you want to take a minute and kind of talk about what led you into uh, into starting this journey and kind of what happened in, in 17, 18 there? Yeah, so um, I had a real difficult time after serving on my, my third aircraft carrier, my uh, second full deployment. And my transition out of the military was anything but smooth. Um, there's many, many military members will, will say that you kind of lose your camaraderie, your sense of purpose. And uh, that definitely happened with me. Um, I spent the better of six months on several different jobs, living in several different areas, trying to find that. And unfortunately, I just couldn't find it, which really heightened the, the, the anxiety and depression side of things with that transition. And about about eight months in, um, one of the the setting one of the one of the points that that really got me to my to my low was uh, I ended up having a house fire 
um, and it burnt to the ground and I lost everything that I had, everything that I owned. And that was really uh, rock bottom for me. And just a few days after that, um, I attempted to take my life. And fortunately enough, I had a wonderful um, doctor and crew that was able to, uh, to preserve me and, and keep me moving forward. Um, one big thing that that doctor told me was, you know, my mind had given up, but clearly my body hadn't. There was still some fight left in it. So he told me not to waste it. So throughout that recovery process, after uh, after they they saved my life, um, I was I was on search to figure out just how I could use uh, my gift, my body, to to help others around me that were kind of going through the same thing, that were feeling the same way that I was feeling, and that's when I, I fell back on the world run that I had been following since I was about 16 years old. I reached out and they had confirmed that an American had still never done this. So I kind of got it set in my mind that if I was going to make a change in something that's been going on for a while and we still haven't really made headway with it, I was going to have to do something extraordinary. So I took on the world run. Um, I trained for it for a little while. Um, I had already been running ultras. So um, the ultras kind of just helped me with that. And I set out to, to do something most people would think is impossible um, just to give me a pedestal to to tell my story and to reach out to those that that need it and make sure they have the resources and make sure the civilians um, that make up 99% of the population um, understand what's really going on with the individuals that fight for the freedoms and liberties that we have. Yeah, as far as active duty, there's, uh, I don't remember the figure, it's, it's, uh, what is it, a million or so people, and we're losing 22 a day between active duty and, and veterans, and and like we said a minute ago, 23 a day now. Um, and you think about that in the population, you know, you think about the general population, that'd be like 0.000001 people, but being in the military and the, the veterans uh, areas, there's a lot fewer people that are in those groups, you know, because that's a, a class of people you guys have have gone overseas in a lot of cases and fought for our freedom. And then you kind of got, you're just that little group when you get back and, uh, and losing that camaraderie, especially with the Navy being out on a boat and stuff, you get home and there's you know, your neighbor next door just sits there and glares at you all day. And I'm sure that, uh, that just doesn't help. Um, right. There's, there's a, a really big uh, gap between our veterans and our civilians. Um, and I think it's, it's due to both, right? It's due to our civilians, not necessarily learning and understanding our, our military members and our military members, not necessarily opening up to our civilians due to relatability. They don't feel like they can relate to it. Um, and that's one of the big things that, that I'm trying to work on. But, um, and we, we, we were talking a little bit of the numbers, the point zeros are 1% and things like that. Um, yeah, our veterans, like I said, make up, make up just about 1% of the entire U S population. And we actually make up twice as we're, you're two times as likely to commit suicide. So right now, um, we're averaging about 22 to 23, depending on the statistics, um, including active duty. And if you put that into the ratio with how many military members we have, we're about 1.9% more likely to take our lives. And that's a really, uh, a really sad number. 
Yeah, that's just it's too many, and it's it's a really tough transition here, uh, where the show's based out of here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we live three of the five hosts. We live right next to Fort Lewis McCord, and we work day in and day out with with military members and veterans. And uh, Pretty Mike, the the primary host on this show. He works in the construction field, and the construction field has a, a large proportion of veterans in that field. And he actually has to host uh, suicide awareness seminars. And next weekend, he's actually going down to a, uh, a mental health, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the class, it's a, a mental health uh, coaching class, just all the science to try to, to find it and to hope to, to give, uh, there you go, mental health first aid. Um, and it's to help find the people that are more apt to do that and help them to, to find other avenues. But, uh, but where we're at here, we're constantly working with, with military vets and active duty and, uh, and being so close to the base here, we hear about it all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, when our veterans get out, you know, we, we go into just about every single workforce that America has to offer. Um, so we're blending in, we're trying to blend in with a lot of them. It's just a lot of these guys have a past. A lot of these guys carry something from the military and that's what makes the veterans a little bit different. Um, so that's a big thing that I, I try to advocate for to some of the individuals that I'm speaking to is that, um, you know, workforces putting in implementing programs um, with suicide, I think could make a really dramatic difference so it's wonderful that he he's able to do that with his construction crew. Yeah, he's actually uh, he's a, a trainer for a safety and OSHA kind of compliance. They do audits and stuff, but uh, a big part of what he's been been learning and teaching is that mental health first aid and mental health awareness. Like what you hear? Make sure and subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're using YouTube, please click the little red subscribe icon, then click the little bell for notifications of future episodes. And if you could, give us a thumbs up. So Stop Soldier Suicide as a, as a foundation, um, they've really picked up and, uh, and kind of helped in promoting your, your walk and everything. How's, uh, how did you come across them and, and kind of get into you know, working with them versus some of the other programs? Yeah, so uh, originally I wanted to work with the Gary Sinise Foundation. Um, it was somebody that I that I kind of looked up to. You know, he was the founder of Wounded Warriors and things like that. Um, but when I ran from Missouri um, down across into South Carolina, I did half the United States. Uh, covered a little over a thousand miles in 28 days. And um, Chris Ford, the CEO of Stop Soldier Suicide, kind of heard about me, and this was before anyone really understood my story. I'd been reaching out, reaching out, and not a lot of people were really interested in what was going on. But uh, he took an interest and he was like, you know, hey, Dustin, like, come in, sit down with me. Um, let's talk. Because he thought that his his organization was one of the better ones that would be able to partner with because they're strictly for, for suicide. You know, there wasn't other things that they're allowing funds and resources to. So ultimately, I I went in and I sat down with him and we talked and I realized, you know, that this organization didn't just have, you know, an idea and they, they weren't just trying to raise awareness. Like they had a pretty phenomenal plan. Um, and one of the big ones was 
was the fact that they do the one-on-one counseling. They fly, they fly their members out to individuals' houses for, for their programs. That way you feel a little more comfortable in your place. Um, they, they're targeting the highest suicide uh, counties in each state um, all across the United States, and, and they're really working hard uh, to change that. And ultimately, after that meeting, uh, I was just kind of sold on them, and they've, they've been supporting me um, and helping me spread the word uh, ever since. Yeah, that, that's awesome because, like you said, the other ones like Wounded Warrior and whatnot, they do uh, they expand a lot more out into into some of the prosthetics and 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 other things like that. As where Stop Soldier Suicide has one mission and one directive. Right, exactly, and that's really what what drew me towards them was uh, I knew that if somebody reached out to me that needed help, that I could send them to them and they were going to have a hundred percent undivided attention for that member instead of kind of being spread out um, and stretched in several different, uh, different ways. Yeah. Kind of a, a no barriers approach, you know, here it is, whatever you need right now. So you don't have to worry about jumping through hoops. Exactly. Exactly. So you, uh, you ran from, from Missouri and ran South and kind of met up with Chris and those guys. And, uh, and how did things go from there? Yeah, so um, like I said, I did over a thousand miles in the first twenty-eight days uh, from South Carolina. I flew to Lima, Peru. Um, I put a little over four thousand miles running across South America, uh, Peru, Chile, a piece of Bolivia, and Argentina. Um, it was it was brutal, uh, to be completely honest. It was extremely lonely running through the Atacama Desert. You could go uh, eleven days without without ever even seeing anybody, uh, five to seven days from village to village. So you really had to prepare with supplies. And then I took the, took the summit crossing the Andes mountains, uh, just about 19,000 feet in elevation. And that honestly up there on that mountaintop is where, where I kind of found myself. Um, I found myself peace again. I found who I really was, um, which is really important when you're trying to help somebody else. Um, and you're really trying to spread the word, you know, you've got to be kind of clear minded and you have to, to be a little more stable so that you can help those that are a little unstable. And up there on that mountaintop is really where I found that for me. Um, it was just, it was miserable, negative 27 to negative 35. Um, it was, took seven days to cross. And like I said, uh, 19,000 feet is, is not easy to breathe, to breathe. Um, I got down off the mountain, uh, crossed into Argentina. I ha- ended up having an encounter with, with three Jaguars. Um, I, uh, and after that, I, I really needed help. And that was a big thing you know, that I advocate for is it's, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to ask for help. And I knew at that point that I needed help. So I flew my mother down to help me get across the Patagonia and uh, probably one of the better decisions that I had made. Um, she helped me get across the Patagonia. I, uh, I ended up going back up north to Buenos Aires, and that's where I finished uh, South America. Um, after South America, I flew to Lisbon, Portugal. Um, I ran across Portugal, Spain, up into France, Belgium, Netherlands, and uh, I'm in Germany right now. And um, it's, it's been cold and wet. Um, I think I've only had seven days of no rain since I've been in all of Europe. Um, so, and there's no shoulders to the road here. So it's presented quite the challenge. Yeah. I've, I've been following on Facebook, uh, both the world record run and of course your, your personal Facebook and then, and then your mother's Facebook. And, 
man, it's it's very different over there without the shoulders and, and having to, to basically run in mud on the side of the road with your cart. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, depending on how long I need to go with supplies, my cart could weigh anywhere from 75 pounds to 120 pounds, depending on how much water and food I need to carry. And, you know, that just kind of sinks in into the mud, which your your run really slows down and it causes you to burn a lot more calories, a lot more effort. It makes your days a lot longer and making your days a lot longer right now in Europe being winter isn't really ideal. They only have about eight to nine hours of sunlight every day. So if, you know, you're stopping for lunch kind of doesn't really happen. You start eating on the road a little bit more. You just kind of put your body through a little more stress because you're just trying to get get your 30, 35, 40 miles done um, while the sun's still up. Yeah, that's got to be tough. I was kind of looking at uh, the path that you're going and, and you're kind of keeping to the cold other than uh, some little patches. <laughs> Seems that all, yeah. of, all of Europe has been in the rain for you. And then uh, you, know, you started out from home, it was nice and warm, but then you got to go down into the Andes Mountains where it was brutally cold. Now you flew over there and it's cold and wet, which... You know, the Pacific Northwest up here, that's all we're getting right now is is 40 degrees and sideways rain. So I guess at least you're not over here right now. Right, right. Yeah, and uh, uh, I mean, it, it just kind of worked out that way because I knew I wanted South America in the winter because it would technically be summer in the in the mountains and there wouldn't be as much ice and snow. It would be freezing cold, but it wouldn't be as icy. Um, so I knew I, I needed South America in the winter because... Outside the mountains, it's only, you know, 60, 65 degrees. It doesn't really get cold being on the equator. And then I knew I wanted Australia in the winter due to uh, the temperatures crossing the nebular, the 480-mile stretch of nothing in the outback to go across the highway from Perth to Sydney, um, across that 3,500-mile stretch. And so really, uh, Europe just ended up being kind of default weather, and it really hasn't been all that, that pleasing um speaking of australia right now we've kind of been all following along uh you know australia pretty much the entire country's on fire right now and uh and i know that we've we've kind of the sixteen thousand three hundred mile journey is, is what you set out to do but uh it kind of looks like australia might not fit into it because of the fires this year yeah so unfortunately um it looks like the 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 world records and being the first American and being the youngest person in the world and all that is just going to end up falling short. I'm not going to be able to end up obtaining those uh, just due to all the wildfires. I've been in contact with a lot of their authorities, their firefighters, and some of the members of government, and it just doesn't really look possible until June, July. Um, and due to a lot of the regulations with the World Runner Association, um, I just can't really can't really uh, do that. And the only other option they gave me was running through the Middle East to get to China. And I don't really feel safe doing that right now with what's going on. So for my safety, both with the Middle East and with the fires, uh, I'm probably going to end up having to skip Australia. Um, I'll finish Europe and then I'll fly back to California or up to Washington State, um, depending on where I kind of decide to take it. And I'll finish North America and run back to Missouri. So I'll still end up with about 12,000 miles in, in less than one year and um, with three full continents coast to coast. But due to being short of the 16,300 miles and due to being short one continent, 
um, a lot, a lot of the re- or all the records just won't happen. And I, you know, I'm okay with that because I didn't really set out for the records as cool as it would have been. Uh, you know, I set out for the cause, so I'll still have the the ability to run once I get back to the United States, and I'll still have the ability to advocate and get the word out and keep spreading awareness. And you know, I'm I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, we were all talking at, uh, at BeastNet, and we're really hoping that you you fly into Washington with our team up here. We got about twenty three hundred members of the the Beast's OCR team, and okay. we've already kind of been talking that that if you land up here, that we'd have to figure out how to get you an escort, and then of course with all the military bases up here, that we should be able to get uh, get some escorts and some people running with you um, when you're in our territory. I guess is is kind of what we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean that would be awesome. Um, really, the only thing that I I can say is I can't really give a finite answer right now, just due to the fact of uh, weather. I guess I know the Northwest isn't the friendliest in February, so I'm just uh, I'm just gonna play it by ear until until I get a little bit closer to flying home, which should be the end of January, early February. So three weeks from now. Uh, and we'll just, you know, have to just see what what's presenting itself to me. Um, I've been through a lot of extremely bad terrain, bad weather, and uh, put my body through through a lot. Um, and when I get back to the states, I'd like to try to keep that to a minimum. I don't need anything that's going to end up being permanent. Well, and and with losing Australia, that kind of moved your timeline up to where you're going to hit back into the U.S. when it's still very cold up here in the Northwest. Our winter right. really doesn't. Our winter doesn't set in until February, basically up here. Unfortunately, um, you know that's what I'm gonna probably have to end up going off of. I may, I mean, I may be able to split it in the middle, and I don't know if you know people would be willing to to accommodate that. But uh, we're just gonna have to have to figure out once I once I get ready to fly back wh- where the best place is gonna end up being. Well, and, and again, with 2,300 members, four states and two provinces, we do get down into Oregon and, and Idaho and Montana. And, you know, if you flew into BC, we've got BC and Alberta, too. So okay. we're uh, a very large, large team up here that uh, that covers a lot of space. Um, and that's that's kind of why we have our own podcast is because you know, when you have 2,300 members, you want to reach out and talk to them all. Well, you can't really do that in a, in a group chat very easily. <laughs> I, I agree. Do you like challenges that are fun, tough, and might use tacos? Head on over to BeastChallenge.com and check out our upcoming events, including Beast's 5K+, Plus, a combination of race and endurance event, and the Bucket Mile. Keep an eye on the Beast's OCR Facebook group for event gatherings. For more information, head on over to BeastChallenge.com and the Beast's OCR Facebook group. You'll be glad you did. So you're you're how many miles in now? Um, a little over six thousand miles in a uh, hundred ninety, hundred ninety days. That's just amazing. Um, a little while back, we had a, another guy on the show that did thirty-one marathons in thirty-one days to raise um, awareness for mental health, also. And and just thinking about what he did, I thought was amazing. And then I I stumbled across uh, your run, and uh, and you're putting on more miles every day than he did. And it's just it's amazing yeah. to me. Yeah, uh, my my goal was to average a 50k every day, um, and you know I'm at about 31.23 miles um, every day for my average. So I'm pretty pretty happy with the 50k every day. And um, I mean I've put up as much as 57 
in one day, but I've also put up as low as seven miles in a day. So uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster depending on where I'm at, the terrain and the weather. Yeah, I can definitely feel that. You know, one of the things that, that we wanted to do, um, you know, we wanted to talk to you, but we didn't want to slow you down at all. So this last week, uh, you were going for another another record, and uh, and some things kind of went sideways there, and that's why we got the opportunity to to finally talk to you. Take us through what happened there. Yeah. So um, somebody kind of ran the idea past me when I was in South America. Actually, they're like, "Hey, man, you know, you're going to be training pretty much every day. Um, if anybody is going to be capable of this record." you know, I think it should be you. So if you get the help, you should go for it. And what that was, was uh, in 1986, a Belgian man broke the world record for the furthest distance ever traveled on foot continuously. No sleep, no stopping. You're walking the whole time um, or you're running. Um, It's forward progression. Once forward progression is lost, you're disqualified. Um, And they only allotted a two-minute break every four hours to go to the bathroom and change shoes. Uh, nothing else can happen during those two minutes. And it was 418 miles, and he did it in six days. Um, and obviously, that's that's a pretty long time to go with sleep deprivation and without sitting down or even just standing still. Um, but I decided to give it a shot. I felt pretty good about my physical ability. I feel like I'm, I'm probably in my running prime right now uh, due just to the pure mileage I'm putting on and how comfortable my body is at this point. And I started out pretty good. I left out of Stuttgart, Germany. Um, I had several crew vehicles that followed me all all day and into the night. I hit, I believe it was 80, just a little over 83 miles, just shy of 19 hours. So I was putting some pretty good, pretty good miles on, but I was keeping, trying to keep a fair pace without pushing it too fast. And it was about three in the morning. Um, a car came around a curve that we were, we were just getting ready to go on. And I had sent up my second crew vehicle to just go up a little bit because I was about to hit my bathroom break and I was going to have the vehicle behind me record it for proof. And um, they missed the front vehicle around the curve. They overshot the corner going too fast and it was real icy. And I had to jump out of the way. I ended up about 10 feet down in a concrete culvert, um, hurt my ankle, hurt my knee. And I was real disappointed. Um, but I got out of it. Um, I looked at my my three GPS devices that I had been uh, tracking everything on, and I realized that I was able to get out of the ditch prior to two minutes from the time I was in and out. Um, my movement time was less than two minutes, or non-movement time. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to use that as my bathroom break. So I decided to keep going. I ended up limping for about two hours before uh, all my crew members and ultimately my family, you know, just talked some sense into me and said it just really wasn't worth it uh, to put my body into a position that could cause permanent damage, um, especially with a knee injury and an ankle injury. So by about five o'clock, I had I had called it. And I think I ended up reaching about 87 miles, but uh, it was it was really disappointing. Um, but I'm you know I'm in high hopes that uh, I'll give it a shot again, and yeah, I'm probably going to end up giving it a shot at a a six-day race back in the states. That way, it's on the track and it's a little, little bit safer, a little bit more contained than out on the roads. But uh, yeah, it uh, it kind of kind of shut me down for that attempt. But I was I was pretty optimistic that uh, it wasn't too 
too bad on my body and I would be able to continue the world run. But unfortunately, um, that having happened the morning of the second, you know, now I'm, I'm learning a lot more about the, the fires in Australia. So putting those two together, uh, you know, the Stuttgart to Berlin world record and then the world run, you know, I am a little disappointed that, uh, that really none of them are going to be able to happen and it's kind of out of my control. None of them are, you know, due to me, me not being able to do it. But I think the, if you kind of compartmentalize it, you know, the, the Berlin run and the, the world run were just operations that are part of your mission. Your mission is to stop soldier suicide and spread awareness. And, and those are the operations that you're using to spread awareness. So stopping the, the Berlin run before it took you out of the world run, even though you didn't you know, know that the world run was going to get missed because of Australia, you know, if you'd have hurt yourself even worse, you could have lost both and uh, not been able to continue the mission. So at least now you're still able to continue the mission. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure um, several of the individuals that are going to be listening to this will will understand that sometimes when when you're in pain or sometimes, you know, when you've got that euphoria going on, um, you know, 80 plus miles in, uh, you, you don't always you don't always think straight. So I was very grateful for my crew and my family to to kind of talk some sense into me and, you know, paint me the, the bigger picture and, you know, kind of bring me back, back down and, and, you know, bring it up to me that, or bring it out that, yeah, you know, it's not worth me being injured. There, there's another, another run out there and none of it actually matters. This is just my platform for my cause. So I, I was extremely grateful for that. Yeah. Do you like the BeastNet? Do you want to keep hearing it? Be sure to follow us on Facebook Twitter, Instagram, and more at BeastNet Pod. So, kind of a a little bit on and off subject. Uh, since you started this run, um, have you had any anyone kind of reach out to you and and kind of talk about how this has affected them? Or since you've been moving so much, have you not uh, been able to kind of dig into that at all? Um, I I probably get four to five emails every week. People telling me their stories. Um. And, veterans reaching out and telling me their stories and then i probably get four or five family members of veterans that reach out and tell me about stories of their loved ones who have committed suicide so i'd put it anywhere between say eight to twelve every week somebody's kind of reaching out and i have had three individuals that had really reached out to me and and kind of i you know made me open up to them enough to where I knew that this was a desperate moment and that this was critical. Um, and we exchanged phone numbers and, and I've, I've been talking to them on the phone several times uh, within the last couple of months. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a real eye opener, um, hearing, hearing some of these other stories as well. Well, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the people out there don't know what resources are out there. So even just, just having you out there as, as a figurehead saying, you know, check out, Check out StopSoldierSuicide.org. Check out the Facebook page. Call. Um, actually, here shortly, the U.S. has adopted uh, 988 for a suicide hotline, and that'll be real cool once that's fully implemented. Oh, absolutely. Um, one, I mean, there's def- there's several things. So the the organizations that I probably reach that I probably give the resources to the most um, is obviously Stop Soldier Suicide first. Um, and then 988 second um, in the dire moments. 
And then I actually, I, I give out the VFW information um, third because there's so many people that I am, are a bit misrepresented on what the VFW is. And a lot of people don't understand the phenomenal programs that they have. Um, so those are, those are probably the, the three biggest ones that, uh, that I give those resources out to, to the individuals that really need them. Yeah, a lot of people, for whatever reason, think of the VFW as you know, a bunch of old men sitting around playing bridge. <laughs> which right, really yeah, isn't. and drinking beer and telling war stories and and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of young guys there's a lot of uh, people but I mean the biggest thing is you have a group of individuals that can relate to you and then they have so many programs so they really are a pretty good resource for individuals. So another thing that uh, that I know we talked about with with Tina, um, your mom, was that you know there's nobody out here funding your run that it's you know, pretty much your family and friends and people who donate and whatnot. Uh, I know she manages a lot of that for you back home. Um, is there anything uh, anything out there aside from the, the PayPal and the, the Amazon book list and all that stuff where they can send donations either to you or to a foundation in your name? Um, no, really, uh, you know, the first thing that I would I would highly encourage is is uh, getting on the page or reaching out to Stop Soldier Suicide and either using my link or directly through Stop Soldier Suicide um, to donate money to those veterans that need it. $400 and um, they can take care of one veteran, all costs, all expenses paid for, counseling, um, whatever it ends up being, um, all the programs, pets for vets, everything like that for two full years. So that money really adds up and you can really start taking care of quite a few veterans in a fairly short period of time through through those donations um and then um for me personally you know uh i don't really ask for a lot and i'm just grateful to be out here but there is the book list um i was a huge book reader and i lost about a thousand books in my house fire and i'd read about every single one of them so so that that was a really kind thing that some individuals set up for me to to have when i get home is is some books um and then um, I'm living off about $7 a day for food. So some individuals like to reach out to PayPal and things like that and, um, and donate some money. You know, my birthday was back in November. So people, people really reached out to help me, you know, get a good meal and things like that. Sometimes people reach out because they know it's storming where I'm at for a week straight. So they, they kind of really want me to get into a hotel or something. Um, so, so there's that avenue as well. In the uh, show notes, I'm going to have all the links up for uh for your world record world record run on facebook and then uh the paypal donate the stop soldier donate uh and actually the, the they can buy shirts now and uh and that helps raise some some money and some awareness for your cause also now oh yes absolutely uh you know i i know that it's changing a lot with these last couple of days with the world run not technically going to happen um in the full the full event due to the Australia fires. But uh, yeah, if they would still like to purchase, purchase shirts, you know, that money will absolutely go to a, a great use with the, the veterans that really need it. Yeah. Up here uh, we've got uh, kind of a veteran homeless crisis going on and uh, you know, we've partnered up with a, a local charity called pennies for quarters that uh, we're building a tiny house village with uh a central building with all of the services and a lot of focus on uh, on the mental health side, actually. 
And uh, that's been a, a real eye-opening event. The number of, of homeless veterans are out there on top of the ones that are, that are having mental health issues. Right. And, and a lot of those homeless individuals could be suffering from mental health as well. Um, so it's definitely something that we, we need to combat. Um, they they kind of go, go together. You know, there's a lot of individuals that get out of the military and they're get, they get hit with a, with a really difficult time. And they don't have a lot of support and, you know, they end up homeless and, you know, before too long, that becomes a month, two months, six months. And then, you know, they're just fighting to stay alive at that point. And that, that takes a lot of toll. That takes a toll on them, especially uh, mentally, not just physically. So getting those, those members help is, is definitely something that uh, we, we as a nation need to be working on. Yeah, they go from, you know, if it's just a four-year tour, they go from basically four years of, of all their meals and all of their time being organized for them, basically, to coming home and having freedom and honestly just having to pay bills and do things that they haven't had to do in, in a very long time, and that can kind of send them into shock. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, some some members get out and they split with their, their, their significant others. And that takes a toll. Some members have a hard time finding jobs. Some members don't have family members to go back to. So they find themselves alone. You know, there's so many things that can add up to, to why they're homeless. And, um, it's, it's a terrible thing. Uh, and you know, whatever we can do to help them is definitely something that we need to, we need to be figuring out. And it's, it's funny. I, I talk to a lot of members that I, uh, individuals that I know about, tiny houses. I'm a huge tiny house supporter. I love minimalistic living. And uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. I'm really excited about that. Actually, I, I'm going to have to look into that a bit more. I'll uh, send you on Facebook the link to the uh, to the deal. And I'll probably, as usual, post something about them. About every two or three weeks, I post something about them off of the uh, the site for the uh, for the show, just because it's a, it's a local veteran-owned, veteran-run um, program to help veterans. So it's kind of a win, win, win. And, uh, and since we partnered up with them, uh, last year, um, we'll be hosting a, uh, a run with them, uh, a 5k mud run here in uh, July. And that'll be another big fundraiser for them. Plus pretty Mike, who is the usual host for this show. He's a comedian on the side and he's working on doing some comedy benefit work for them up there too. So, Oh, that's awesome. So I know it's, starting to get a little late over there. You're over in Germany, about nine hours ahead of me. Um, you're going to be coming home back to the U.S. here probably in January. Um, when we get close to that, um, no matter where you are, flying into the West Coast somewhere, you know, we're going to try to get some beasts out there or if we have to get some of our SoCal guys or somebody out there to meet you when you get back. Is there anything that, you know, words of wisdom, things that, that come to mind that you'd kind of like to, to make sure to get out to the listeners today? Um, I, I mean, some of the things that with these meet and greets, um, with the military communities and some of these, the civilian meet and greets that I do, um, some of the, the big things that I touch on is that, you know, the civilians that, that are listening to this, I'm going to talk to you guys just for a second. So I a hundred percent think it's your responsibility. Um, it's your job and you have to hold yourself accountable to learn about your veteran counterparts, to learn about some of the things that they that they go through, that they see, that they do. Because in a way, it's they're being institutionalized. So if you can become more aware um, and understand that community a little bit better, you can help them a lot better. And I, and I 100% think that that's your responsibility as the 
who has lived off of the, the liberties and the freedoms for an extremely long period of time that gives us the diversity um, in, in everything that we have. To make yourself knowledgeable in understanding the signs when they change, understanding their jobs, and understanding what you can do and, and the resources that are available to them because you never know when you may need to step in and help. Um, to my veterans um, and to my active duty members that, that are going to separate at some point, you know, this is something a lot of people repeat, but it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to ask for help. I had a little nine-year-old boy at one of these meet and greets ask me what was the bravest thing I've ever told somebody. And I looked at him in front of a group of about 50 people and I told him the bravest word I've ever spoke was the word help. And that's a big thing. But also when you're getting all these resources given to you, you know, don't let it go in one ear and out the other. You never know when you may need it. You never know when you may be the individual that is watching another, a brother or sister of yours going through a hard time or you yourself. So know your resources. And when you get out of the military, try to find a community and try to find um, that sense of purpose as fast as you can. I know a lot of people who get out and they're kind of lost. Um, but the faster that you guys can can build that community and camaraderie again, the better that you guys are going to are gonna be during that transition. Really, that's some of the bigger things that I can say. Um, yeah, that's, that's just... That's, that's pretty good. Uh, I think that's, that's really important for them, for them to understand. Yeah, that uh, especially coming out of the military and, and general masculinity, the, the asking for help is just about impossible. And, uh, and for people to do that and to do it before it's too late, that's probably one of the most important and, and biggest things they can do. Right. And I mean, the, the reason is that the reason being is because, you know, military members are big, bad individuals, whether it's male or female. But also, it's because when we get out, and I'm speaking personally here, you don't feel like you can relate to your civilian counterparts. You don't think you'll, they'll understand, right? That's why you don't want to go get help, because even if you're speaking to a professional, you know, if they never served, you feel like you can't quite relate to them. Um, and that's why I speak on behalf, or that's why I speak to the civilians as well. Um, because if you can learn, you're going to increase that relatability, which increases trust, which is increases your ability to help them. Yeah, that's that is a perfect way of lining it out. Because because you're right, the civilians. I I never got the opportunity to serve, but uh, I do anything I can to try to relate and be involved with with our veterans. Because you know they they went out and did something I couldn't do, so now I need to make sure that I give them a home when they come back. Absolutely, and I thank you for that. It's been great talking to you, Dustin. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to to call into the show from from little tiny town in Germany that I forgot the name of already. <laughs> Grafenvor. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Gesundheit. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And what you're doing out there, raising awareness for mental health care. And stopping soldier suicide is just an amazing thing, and we appreciate you out there doing it. Uh, thank you, and I appreciate you uh, for having me and for uh, allowing me to kind of use you guys as another boost for my platform and getting my cause out there. Yeah, anytime when you hit the U.S. or you hit another transition where you've got some downtime and you want to get back on the show, give us a holler. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. 
All these things will help to expand the show in the future. This show is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with Beat OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you like to hear. You can find us on Facebook or at beastsocr.org.